Before we can teach the word, we've got to read the word. So everybody stand up with me. We're going to read some verses together as we continue on in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, with full voices. Everybody ready? Here we go. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow uh, is left alone, uh, has set her hopes on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And then we're going to skip down to verse 16 where it says, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. Great job. Anybody notice we skipped some verses there? Some of you are like, oh, he's chicken. He's not going to preach those. It's not true. Uh, I'll tell you what they are about uh, as as this text goes along. It talks about widows in the church there in Ephesus. And actually, starting in verse 9, it gives a description of a team of widows who were probably uh, servants there in the church and gives qualifications for them. So you can read them on your own. Uh, You can see the things that were standard there in this ministry team of widows in the Ephesus church. Um, I'm grateful to let you know that we have a, a widow's emphasis in our our um, women's ministry here, there's, there's 10 or so ladies that get together, uh, widows, on a regular basis, and they meet and, and study God's word together and support each other in this season of their lives. We have a, a group of people who pretty much every month, on the, you know, once a month, uh, gather to help some of these widows in their household chores, the things that are going on in their homes. Uh, I'm grateful that we have a, a widow's ministry here at our church, and if you want to find out more about that, you can talk to Carmelita Boyce uh, here on our women's ministry team. Uh, but... Uh, uh, to be honest with you, when I started studying for this, uh, this sermon, I was like, oh, uh, and I'm, I'm never disappointed by the Bible. Can we all, but, but there's some things that kind of jump off the page, like last week, we had all these great things, like don't let them look down because you're young, uh, you know, but set an example, all these great, you know, don't cry for Argentina, but there's some texts that are easier to preach, right? And then we get to this one, and it's just kind of, you know, Paul's almost going down the laundry list of things that he, he expects and hopes for, you know, the church in Ephesus. And I'm, I was thinking, man, how does this pertain to us? And then it, it came to me, this is perfect timing, because we are about to enter the holiday season. Thanksgiving is four days away. Anybody going to be joining their family for Thanksgiving? Yeah, we Americans have built an entire holiday around eating. Way to go. It's very American of us. But you're going to get together with your families, and, and for some of you, that's going to be a joyous occasion. You can't wait for it. You fight over who gets to host it. It is a blast because your family's great. But for some of us, uh, that's not the case. And we're already starting to tense up in our shoulders because Thursday's on the way. We've got to go hang out with these people. So I preach all the time on the family about relationships, not just you know, with our extended family, but inside our, 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 our you know, nuclear family, our, our, our marriages, our parent-child relationships. Uh, but Paul takes us to a, a, a part of a, a family's life cycle that we don't always talk about. Uh, what to do when, when family members uh, are in great need and aging. Uh, many of you are uh, on your way to that. Some of you are in the middle of that. Uh, some of you, uh, this is for you today. But we're going to talk about family and the things that we can hope uh, for our families as God guides us 
and the standards that he has for us. We're all gonna, also going to talk about being generous. The holiday season, we just got done talking about gift of hope. The holiday season is this great period of our year where we're you know, hopefully always uh, available to God to be generous in any ways that he leads us, but especially in this season, for whatever reason, the, the culture just turns towards being giving. You know, the gifts and the, and the charities and the, and, the, and the opportunities that we have to love on people, they're just more pronounced in this uh, period of our year and so it's fitting that we're going to talk about these things. We're going to talk about three things today in this text that you just got done reading with me. We're going to talk about the family that we have in our church, the family that we were born into, the opportunities that we have in both, the responsibilities that we have in both. And I'm going to start by talking about this one here in verse uh, 1. It says that we're going to learn this, to treat the people in our church like family. Treat the people in your church, in this church, whatever church you're a part of, like family. It says there in verse 1, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Paul, uh, immediately with Timothy, addresses some of the generational gap that exists in that church and every church that's come since it. Uh, there are sometimes uh, differences uh, that arise between the older and younger generations. In fact, uh, we have evidence of that. Remember last, last week we talked about the fact that Paul told Timothy, hey man, don't let them look down on you because you are what? Young. So apparently the olders were looking down on Tim, their leader, because of his age. So Paul continues in that vein of thinking and he says, hey man, just because I told you not to look, let them look down on you uh, because you're young, doesn't mean I'm like loading you up for bear. I'm not saying that you could go blow the doors off of anybody who's older in your church and, and make them feel to be less than because they don't know what's really going on and you have the authority and that's, that's, you know, that's, not, that's not the thing that he's given. It's not open season on people who are older than you. Instead of rebuking, that word's a very harsh word in the Greek, uh, it means to, to unleash with your tongue. Uh, instead of rebuking older men, you're, you're meant to encourage them. Now, just as you would a father, have respect wouldn't it be great if churches really uh, did that? And I, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of a church where I think the generations mingle nicely. But that's not the case in every church. In fact, uh, 1,200 churches close their doors every year, every year in the Southern Baptist Convention. And of those 1,200 churches, I'm guessing that a lot of them were just unwilling to bend towards the younger generation and the ways that younger generations do things, and they just aged out. They just shut their doors because eventually everybody in there died. It's kind of sad. <laughs> but they died because they just weren't understanding of, of the need to, to bring in new ideas in, 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 in the next generation. It was uh, us, us and nobody else, the way we do things and never any other way. I'm not letting the younger generation off the hook. A lot of times, uh, I'm, I'm actually entering the age now where my kids are young adults, and I'm, I'm just... I'm just aghast at how I must have been at their age. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I want to call my mom and just ask her to forgive me every day. I'm like, wow, I had no idea. Uh, I was such a know-it-all. Um, my kids are great. I don't mean to pound on them, but, but it's just the condition of youth. You think you know everything. You think you've got it, and, and, and you've got the world by the tail. You've got all of your vim and vigor. Oh, there's the first time I've ever used that phrase in a sermon. Uh, but you've got everything going on. And, and you're just here to help everybody who's gone ahead of you know how it's supposed to be now. Now, oh, listen, isn't it true that the older generation has so much wisdom that if the younger generation would just listen to them, we could, we could grow and get even better? Can we agree with that? And, and isn't it true that the younger generation knows how to use a, a computer? 
<laughs> but they also, they're, they're, they're what's coming, they're, they're, and we should be tilting things in their direction because we as the olders, we need to prepare for the youngers and what God's gonna do through them as we move forward. Timothy's basically saying, hey, y'all, get along. Work this out. Communicate. Live with each other. Encourage each other. No greater example of this than what's happening over at the chapel. Uh, many of you know that we uh, were able to adopt a church last year. Uh, it's the former First Baptist Church of Mango. It's now called the chapel up there on uh, MLK and Sefner. And uh, we, uh, we, we, we took them in. We became one church. And we had you know, front row seats to this experience because uh, the people who uh, are from that church are all older for the most part. And we have come in and, and we're just by default younger. And so we've, we've had this great experience, I think, of, of mostly navigating the, the melding of these two families well. John Weaver is deft uh, in his touch. He is uh, a great uh, collaborator. And uh, we, we've gone slow over there. Why? Because we don't want to come in and say, here's how you do it. Bah, 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 bah. Well, we want to go slowly. And we want to learn from them and learn from their culture so that we can become one together. Had, had one guy over there that uh, wasn't too fond of us coming in. Made it clear from the beginning. Uh, and then we started just really moving his cheese around. We started kind of talking about, you know, sales of buildings and stuff like that. And I actually, I remember giving the, the vision uh, in, a, in a sermon there uh, one Sunday last year. And uh, he came up after and he said, it was all I could do to stay in my chair and not come up there. I was like, well, I'm glad you didn't because that would have been awkward for me. <laughs> Never had to defend myself in a sermon against something who, you know, someone who was disagreeing with what I said. But even in that relationship, we had... We had a, a degree-to-disagree conversation. And uh, we've persisted and perpetuated, and that's how it should work. I pray, listen, here's my prayer before we move on to the next things. My prayer is that we will never be a church that dies because we just wouldn't let go of who we are, what we were, what we held to. We didn't listen to the youngers. Uh, the youngers uh, didn't, you know, be, were, were disrespectful to the, I pray that we're never that church. Now we always says we have an eye on what's more important, what's bigger. That's the gospel, that's the mission. Us becoming all that God wants us to be across generations for his glory and for his purpose. It goes on in this verse and it says, uh, you know, with older men, we should be encouragers, just as a father and a, and a son would, would seek to do that. As younger men, we should seek to be brothers. Anybody go to that church growing up? Everybody was brother or sister? It's so, uh, funny, when I go into those environments and people start calling me Brother Mark, I keep looking around for who that is. I'm like, who's Brother Mark? Oh, that's me. How's it going? I'm Brother Mark. I'm sure it, it was born of this kind of uh, teaching in the scripture. Your family. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're supposed to treat each other as brothers, as, as women, as mothers. There's so many great things. Uh, there was this uh, you know, uh, elderly woman in the first church that I served at. Her, name was, her literal name was Mom Crow. I don't, I, her, Evelyn? I think her name was Evelyn. But, uh, but everybody called her mom, and she was the church's mom. Like Everybody in that church was a smaller church. Everybody knew mom. Mom knew everybody. She was the organist in that church and uh, was beloved by all. And, and even if your mom lived miles away, you always had Mom Crow to be able to talk to. It goes on and it says uh, that younger women should be seen as sisters in all purity. That, that, that's kind of leaning towards making sure that we don't let you know, any impropriety, all the things that, in, that are in the headlines right now uh, with uh, you know, movie moguls and stuff like that. We don't let those things seep into our culture, but we treat each other as family. We love each other. 
Yeah, you wonder about the name tags, I wear mine every week. You don't have to wear one. This is not a guilt thing. If you don't want to ever wear one of these at all, it's fine. But the reason we wanted to do these name tags is because we want to be familiar, which the same root for familiar is family. We want to be family. I want you to know who you'd say hi to every week. I want you to know, how, would it, how rare would it be to, for you to have a nameless family that you went home to every day? Hello, middle son, how are you? <laughs> well, greetings, wife. I mean, that's just be weird. But churches do that all the time. They smile at each other, park next to each other, sit in the same row every week, and never learn each other's names. It's hard to become family if you don't have a name. I'm grateful in my whole life. I was a pastor's kid. I moved, uh, uh, I think, 12 times before I was 18. I lived in 18 houses. I know that before I was 18. We were just constantly bouncing around. And I never lived close to my extended family. My aunts and uncles, they were always at least two or 300, sometimes 1,000 miles away. And so I basically found family within the churches that my dad was a pastor at. And we would celebrate holidays like Thanksgiving. Still not too late for you to ask somebody from here to come over for Thanksgiving. But that's what a church should be for each other. In the absence of your actual family, or uh, when your actual family rejects you because, which was rampant in the Ephesian church, there, there was families leaving families. They would choose Christ and be lost to their family of origin. And so it's crucial that the body of Christ become family to each other. It's what Timothy remi- or Paul taught, reminds Timothy to do here in this first part of the passage. But the second thing he says is uh, to take care of the people without family. And he's going to specifically talk about widows. But I want to broaden our thinking here because it's not just widows that need the care of the church. There's tons of folks in our community, in our church, who are just uh, in dire need. They have uh, no resources, no uh, immediate help, and, and we need to be here as a church to help the widows and those who, uh, others who are in need uh, with the things that God would have us help them with. But let's focus on widows uh, primarily because that's where Paul takes us. Honor widows who are truly widows, it says in verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. Now this whole uh, taking care of widows is a a pan-biblical idea. It's it's from the Old Testament to the New Testament, a value of God. God is actually referred to as uh, the father of the fatherless and the defender of the widows here in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Look what it says there. It says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. You can't, you can't sway God. Uh, he, it goes on, he says, he executes justice for the who? The fatherless and the, the people who are without, the people who cannot provide for themselves. And he loves the sojourner, uh, the visitors to uh, these, you know, the, the land of Israel. He gives them food and clothing. We know that because in other parts of the, uh, the Old Testament, it tells us that uh, farmers were instructed to store a tithe of produce For those uh, needy in their community, they were told also to leave the corners of their fields available for uh, the poor, the fatherless, the the widows, the the sojourners to come in and glean their own crops uh, so that they would have something to to eat from because they didn't have their own lands. In the New Testament, Jesus was constantly and consistently compassionate towards widows. In real life, he restored the son, the only son of a widow in a place called Nain in Luke chapter 7. In his teaching, he talked about widows in his parables. Uh, He talked about, or he was actually sitting one day in a synagogue, and and there was a woman who was giving uh, two little uh, copper coins. And he commends this particular widow, and she says she's given more than anybody else has given because she gave all that she had. Jesus was a defender 
of widows. And, and actually on, his, on the cross, one of the last things that Jesus discusses in, in his human life is, is he says to John, who was there uh, standing next to his mom, hey, take care of my mom, uh, Mary, who was a widow. Make sure you care for her. The early church adopted this same mentality and uh, in Acts chapter six, we see the story of a guy named Stephen and seven other men who were appointed to make sure that all the widows, those who were Jewish and those who were Gentile in the early church in Jerusalem had what they needed. Uh, James picks up that same theme in his letter, uh, his epistle where he says in verse 27 of the first chapter there that true religion, the, the, the best kind of religion is the religion that takes care of the fatherless, the orphans and the widows. So uh, we should be there for people in need, the fatherless, the widows, those who cannot defend themselves. So let's talk about this text. Who, who's a true widow? Well, thankfully, Paul lets us know. You skip a verse there and go down to verse 5, and it says, she who is truly a widow is someone who is left all alone. She has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Three things there. The first thing is that a, a true widow is a widow who has no other resource, no other hope, no other source to provide for her. These are the ones that need to go to the top of the list when it comes to our care. In that culture, they didn't have Social Security and many of our, the government projects or programs that we have today. They didn't have IRAs and all those things that so many people as they continue to age and spouses die in this era, uh, you know, have to count on. They had, this, they had one thing called, anybody ever heard of a dowry? A dowry was actually a gift that was given, a price, if you want to call it, that was paid by the, fa uh, the father and the mother of the bride to the groom, uh, an investment of animals or, or actual resources, money and stuff like that, that would go with the bride. It seemed like, you know, in those days, maybe it seemed like the, the father was paying this guy off to, pay, you know, to marry his daughter. That was not the case. This was her security. If something happened to that man, which, by the way, life expectancy in the first century church, just under 40. You fellas, we didn't live long. We still don't live as long as you ladies, but at least we're pushing it a little bit higher than 40. Is everybody grateful for that? I am. I'm past that now. Uh, but back then, guys didn't live much past 40. War, disease, uh, famine, all kinds of things would attribute to that. Uh, and so they would pass away. Their wives would be left with nothing, except this dowry. It would follow them wherever they went. So if they went to live with their kids, for instance, they had adult sons or daughters, and they went to live with them, uh, this would be their nest egg, the thing that they would live off of and provide for themselves with. If they, if they didn't have kids, if they you know, died at an age where uh, their kids were still too young to provide for them or they didn't have kids at all, they'd go back to dad's house. And guess what they'd bring with them? The dowry, and the dowry would be there to care for them. So the very least, Paul is saying, hey, listen, if the ladies in your church are widows and they have a dowry, move them down the list. Move up the ones who have nothing to provide for themselves. That's the first thing. The second thing there is it says uh, in verse 5 that uh, this, this woman who is truly a widow, she set her hope on God. There's a spiritual expectation for long-term help. Now, short-term, listen, we, we should like uh, the Good Samaritan, remember that story, right? If we see someone in trouble, regardless of our understandings of their spiritual directions and stuff like that, should we stop to help? Absolutely. Christians are called to love, uh, you know, mankind, our one another's, our everybody. And so I'm not saying that we have to like, hey, are you a Christian? Because I can't help you unless you're a Christian. Okay, if you're a Christian, do you have a quiet time at least three times a week? Because, you know, the Bible tells me I can't help you unless I can, you know. No, that's not what I'm saying. But here's what I will say. If we're going to long-term, uh, as a church, 
Or you as a, as a Christian uh, you know, person, as a family, want to support someone and encourage someone long-term, there should be some evidence of spiritual leaning in their lives. A, hum, a humility, a humbleness that says, I, I want to seek God, I want to trust God for what he wants to give me. There shouldn't be any entitlement. There shouldn't be any demands, which is rampant in our culture. There should just be this, this humility that says, uh, thank you, and gratitude that says, I trust that God is working through you as he provides for my needs. There should be an attitude of prayerfulness. That's what it says here, that her heart, her sets, her heart, her heart and hopes are set on God, and she continues in supplications and prayers. He says it twice there. He continues, she continues in her asking and in her prayers uh, for God to provide her needs. Who's not a true widow then? That's, that's one of the next questions I'd have. Well, he says that in the next verse. But she who is self-indulgent, she doesn't make the list. In fact, she's dead even while she lives. What, what could he possibly be meaning there? Not physical death. We're not talking zombies here. You know, we're talking spiritual death. And this word self-indulgent is really interesting. It, says, it basically says that this woman is living for her appetites. She's living uh, and manipulating in such a way that she can have more, and that's her only point in looking helpless. I remember uh, coming into a, uh, our church in Dallas where I was working a few years ago and uh, walking past this woman. I was a young youth pastor. I didn't look very pastoral. Uh, you might imagine that. And uh, so I don't think she thought for a minute that I was an employee of the church. She kept right on talking in the phone conversation that she had. She had just come out of this uh, church, by the way, the church I worked at, and had asked for help and had received it. I don't know how much our church had decided to give her that day, but we, we provided for her needs. Well, she walked out, and she hadn't, uh, this is back you know, 20 years ago when cell phones weren't in everybody's pocket, but she walked out, and she hauls this cell phone out of her pocket. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. You know, I had left, and I had seen her talking with our on-call pastor, and it's like, well, you know, she can afford a cell phone. You know, uh, apparently she's doing okay. And she gets on the cell phone, and I'm walking by, and I hear her say these things to the people she's talking to. Yeah. Uh, Bentry totally ponied up. Uh, we're good. I'm heading over to Prince of Peace Lutheran to see what I can get there. Right? And she doesn't know I'm listening. And she just kind of you know, looks up and smiles at me as she's talking. And I'm like, you. <laughs> and I walked straight in and I said, hey, I don't know what that lady's name is, but when she comes back the next time, uh, my recommendation is to dig a little bit deeper on what her needs actually are. Because here's the deal, not everybody, I'm not trying to poison anybody's mind, especially those of you who are like, you're, you're prone to being cynical. Every time you see a homeless person, you're like, well, that person just needs to get a haircut and a job, you know, and, and um, that might be a little judgy, all right? Throttle back, cowboy, all right? But certainly, would I, would I say that there are people who are working the system? Yeah. My wife's walked into houses in her role as a, as a uh, you know, a, a nonprofit uh, uh, leader, and uh, back in the days when she was just serving at Echo, not as the director, but as just the servant there, she walked into this house one day uh, after Christmas, and she just couldn't believe the load of toys that this mother had provided for her two kids. I mean, she knew what this woman uh, was, you know, basically asking for in terms of help, but this woman had gone to two Angel Trees, Metropolitan Ministries, uh, a couple other places, and she had a, a greater load of, of gifts for her kids from all these places that give, than most of us would ever give to our children. The kids couldn't possibly play with all these things. But she just knew how to go from place to place and get this stuff. So we've got to be careful about that. We don't want to be enablers. And here, here's the point. You don't want to be judgers, but you don't want to be enablers. And when we constantly give to people 
who, uh, by God's grace, need to provide for themselves and, and seek to help themselves, we need to do that. The Bible tells us to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. And here's what usually happens. We fall towards one of those two poles. We're either hypercritical, overly wise as serpents, we're downright snaky. Or we're overly gentle, easily duped because the mercy gift in us is strong. I don't know those, those things, but that might be your case. And, and so we, we can kind of tend to go either way, and what we need to do is everybody needs to meet in the middle and be able to say, okay, listen, wherever we can give, we need to give. But wherever our giving is going to enable someone to stay down in their life of self-indulgence, and their rebellion against God, then we need to question whether that's time for us to give or not. I wish I could give you, you know, a simple five-question test. Here's how you find out. There's no, it's not like a sobriety thing where you just have them, you know, jump on one leg and you can be like, oh, worthy. That'd be nice. That's just not how it works. Overall, here's the deal. I'm grateful that I'm a part of a church that is generous, you ask people about Bay Life in our community, and that's one of the, hopefully the first things they say, but it's one of the first things that I hear when they describe uh, Bay Life to me, is that Bay Life is a, is, is a leader in things like Feed the Bay and Gift of Hope and, and all these you know, larger things, but even in, in just a, the spirit of our people. I'm so grateful to be a part of a place that's ready to help. Uh, that's the command of God, that we should be available uh, to take care of people who are without family and provide for them as he leads. Uh, the last thing that I want us to talk about this morning is uh, caring for our, parent, our, our people and our family. I want to talk about our families specifically. And as, as it goes in this uh, text, we're going to talk about aging parents. What are God's standards for us in caring for those in our homes? And certainly when we talk about family, uh, talking about parents taking care of kids, well, that's like the law. Like, you could go to jail if you don't take care of your dependents, right? Or they can be taken from you at the very least. So most of us get that. And hopefully you've heard enough of my sermons on marriage that you understand that as spouses, you're supposed to work at your marriage. You're supposed to love each other and try hard to honor God in, in providing for each other uh, what you need in your relationship. I don't always talk about what, what to do with uh, family members that are aging, so I'm grateful to be able to tackle this stuff today. I'm grateful that I know many of you, as you uh, care for your aging parents, uh, that you do this well and you, you honor God in how you treat your family members. But I also know that I, uh, as, as a college senior, uh, was given a, a, a I, guess, I guess I was a sophomore. Check that, college sophomore. I was given a, a ministry as part of my uh, schooling at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I had to go visit a nursing home. I, I had to go and care for the uh, the folks there, I say had to, I should say get to, but probably as a sophomore, I was more of a had to. But anyway, I went to the nursing home and I hung out there. And here's what I learned. I learned that some families, even as they put their, uh, their aging relatives in place, uh, places like that to age and have the care that they need, they still are diligent to make sure that all that those family members need is, is, is taken care of. They come and visit them. I had this one lady, Dorothy. Uh, Dorothy had been uh, taken over by dementia years before. Uh, she didn't remember me from week to week. It was like we, get, we, we met again for the first time every time I went in. Hi, Dorothy, it's me, Mark. Uh, uh, and Dorothy's uh, sister, uh, she didn't have any of her own children, but she had a, a younger sister. And his, her sister came every week, two or three times a week, to make sure that Dorothy was okay, even though Dorothy didn't recognize her own sister. And then I'd go down the hall, and there was this guy, Franz. 
German guy. Uh, talked with a thick German accent. Ate ice cream constantly. I never saw him without an ice cream cone in his hands. Like, how are you still alive? <laughs> Franz was surly, angry guy. Stuck in his chair, stuck in this place. Didn't want to be there. But I started probing and I found out from the nurses uh, that someone from his family had come and dropped him off and no one from his family had been there since. Years this guy had been in this home and never seen a member of his family. Happens. In the busy culture that we uh, live in in this, this world, it's, it's all too easy for it to happen. But the Bible says, no, that's not how this should work. We need to take care of people in our family. And he gives three reasons. The first one is this. We need to care for our parents because it pleases God. Look what it says here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4. But if a widow who has children or grandchildren, uh, if she has children or grandchildren, let this widow first learn, or, sorry, let the children first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Now, hopefully you, you already understand this, but, but when we care for our ad, aging adult parents, uh, we do so as a, as a thank you to all the things that they have done for us in our raising coming up. It's a way for us to say thank you. It's the chief way that we say thank you. When they can't provide for themselves, we provide for them. It's pretty clear in the fifth commandment it says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. And it's the only command that comes with a promise. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You want to live under the blessing of God? You honor your parents. And it's not just when you're living in their house. It's for all of their days we seek to honor them. Now, this is a great reminder for those uh, who have difficult parents, because I know some of you are listening to me being like, you don't know my parents. You don't know what they did you know, to me growing up. Uh, we've been estranged. It's hard, it's, listen, Thursday's coming, it's gonna be hard for me to be in the room with them. And I, first of all, my heart goes out to you. As your pastor, I love you. I, I pray that that's not the case for anybody in here, but I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that in a room this big, that, that's what's happening with some people, all right? So here, here's, here's why I think Paul says this to Timothy. Hey man, re remember to take care of your parents because it's your thank you to them. Even if they were horrible to you, it's your thank you to them. And, and beyond that, it is you honoring God in your relationship with them. I tell you this in so many different ways and so many different times, but hear it one more time. When we love people, we do it first as an act of worship to our God and then as an act of service to those people. And, and, and we, could, we could be so much better at loving people if we could get that in our mind. So many of us go right here when it comes to love and the one another stuff. And we, we base our love and our service and our, and our mercy and all those things on their behavior. If they're worthy of my love and worthy of my service and worthy of my mercy, then I'll give it. But if they're not, mm. <laughs> I don't know why I did that, I'm sorry. <laughs> but here's my point. My point is this. God knows that he's asking you to do a hard thing. And on earthly terms, it's an impossible thing. For you to love someone who is unloving towards you, for you to love someone who is abusive towards you, for you to love someone who even to this day doesn't have the time of day for you. That's, that's, that's a tall order. And every talk show host would understand you just shutting them off. Everybody in the world would be like, yeah, it totally makes sense. Eye for an eye. 
Tooth for a tooth. They were bad to you. Hey, payback. But here's the deal. When it comes to the love commands, it's always first as an act of worship and honor to God. In fact, you can love people that you have a hard time loving uh, in the power of the Spirit as you seek to honor God by loving them in obedience to him. I've seen it happen. I've exercised that in my own life in certain cases. I'm not going to tell you who with. Caring for our parents is a way for us to please God. As a Christian, that's our chief mission, to glorify God. And so may you and I love our parents well. Caring for our parents uh, proves our faith in God. Look what it says in verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Whoa! Uh, this got big. It's not just a me and my parents thing now. Now it's a, it's a me and the rest of the world thing. Because here's the deal. When we choose to disobey God and his commands for our lives, it, it, it testifies about what we really think about him. And so we may say to everybody who knows us and everybody on Facebook who follows us, I'm a Christian, I'm going to Bay Life Church, I love Jesus, I love my family, but when it comes to my parents, if I treat them like you know, I, I'm not supposed to, if I'm dishonoring in my relationship with them, what it does is it casts a shadow on everything else that I say about my Jesus. And people start wondering, hey, does this guy really love God? If that's what loving God looks like, I don't know if that's the kind of relationship I'm looking for. You cannot not communicate. Everybody knows that, right? You're always saying something. Our lives are a loudspeaker. And our actions, I don't need to tell you, they speak louder than our words. And so, not just for the sake of pleasing God, but for the sake of testifying about uh, the goodness of our God and the nature of our God, and, and, and validating our relationship with our God. We need to love our parents. The last thing we see there, so we need to care for our parents because it frees up the church to care for others in need. Here's the deal. Uh, we don't want to leave to the church and the church's resources what we as family members should be providing for our families. We actually ask that of people who come in. They come in and ask for help and and one of the first questions that we ask them, we say, okay, have you exhausted every other resource that you have? Have you talked to family members? Have you talked to friends? Have you tried to figure out ways that you can take care? Because here's the deal. If we can reserve the resources that we have for the people who are in the greatest need, it's the greatest use of those resources. And so together, as we care for each other, in our nuclear and literal families, and then just without even involving the church and caring for our church family members uh, without the church getting involved. It, what it does is it frees up the resources that God has pooled with us to provide for those in the truest and deepest need. I'm, uh, I'm spending uh, tomorrow morning uh, helping a, a lady in the church whose uh, husband has been taken from her, uh, move her adult son uh, uh, from their home here to somewhere on the other side of Orlando. And... Uh, uh, no coincidence to me that that got asked to me the Saturday afternoon before I preached this message. Right? Hey, Mark, I know you got a truck. By the way, don't buy a pickup truck. If you don't want to get asked to help, <laughs> that's, the first, that's your first clue. Don't buy a pickup. Hey, Mark. Uh, actually, she didn't even ask me personally. She just said, do you, anybody ever gotten this one? Do you know of someone who has a truck? And I'm sitting there reading this email, and I'm like, oh, I know tons of people with trucks. 
And, and then it finally dawns on me, the Lord's like, uh, idiot, you're preaching this like in three hours. Do you think maybe this is the email that I need you to respond, yes, I have a truck, and yes, I'll be there in the morning? So I mean, you know, my job allows for that. I have the flexibility to serve, and I have the, the command, the opportunity from God to serve wherever I can so that more service can be given to lots of other people. I pray you'll join me in that as uh, we move forward. Uh, it's fitting as well as I close to think back on the last couple weeks. I hadn't seen my mom. She hadn't visited us for probably about a year. Uh, but she came uh, down to see us a, a few weeks ago. And, uh, and while she was here, she was here with one of her friends. And uh, the friend who was staying with her and us uh, at our house just kept saying to mom, anytime they got alone, why aren't you living here? Because <laughs> she lives up in central Illinois and it's starting to get cold up there. And and, 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 she, and mom has told her, and, and we've told my mom, anytime you want to move in, you know, we, we'll dedicate an end of our house to you. You can just live there. We'll shut the doors. We don't want to see you. No, I didn't mean that. Anyway, um. <laughs> but I've said to her, whenever she's ready, come on. Just come on down. And she's always said to me, I will never live with one of my children because I do not want to be a? Yeah, love that one. Okay, olders, <laughs> let me encourage you. Um, if you can live with your family, it's an honorable thing to do. It's a great thing to teach each other in that season of life, how to love each other, to age in place and provide for each other. So God dreamt this up. So don't, don't fall on this sword of being a burden. If your kids say to you, come and live, we'd love to have you, receive it. Provide uh, whatever God gives you as far as wisdom and help in those seasons that you're hanging out with your family. Enjoy each other. God's given you to each other for that end. I'm grateful that my mom is not considering to come down and live with us. <laughs> she is. And I'm looking forward to that day. Because I love my mom. I'm grateful to be able to say so. I look forward to seeing her. My wife feels the same way, right? Yeah, she does. <laughs> I feel the same way about her dad. And I, I, I just trust that God's going to use these next years in our life. Now, maybe you're where I am and you're in the middle of some of these decisions. Uh, but even if you're coming up, you've got years to think about this. Or uh, if you're the person, <laughs> the aged one, uh, who's having to sort through these things on your own, I hope this morning has been a way for you and I to understand God's hopes for us caring not only for those in our church family, but for caring for those uh, who are in our families. And may God lead us to his best in both. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word, to follow you in it. I pray that's what happens next, uh, that you would take us to our respective places over this Thanksgiving holiday, even over the Christmas holiday. As we're with our families, may you lead us to appreciating them more, being patient with them more. Help us to love them, God, as an act of worship to you. Where uh, needs are prevalent, God, may you give us wisdom in providing in those areas of need. Help us to be... Um, merciful and generous, but help us, God, to, to keep from being enablers and give us the wisdom to know the difference. We trust you, God, to lead us in life. Thanks for uh, texts like this this morning that we can just learn from, and uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have a great Thanksgiving. God bless you.